Scribe is the magic behind Colossus Transcripts, and Scribe is the presenting sponsor of this episode of Making Media. One of the best decisions we made at Colossus was transcribing all of our audio into a searchable transcript library. Now, we had been using another provider who won't be named up until the summer of 2022, but we were constantly having issues with the accuracy of our audio, even if it was just the slightest bit impaired or hard to hear. Scribe has solved those problems and more. So whether it's training sessions that you're having, internal Q&As, or for media purposes like ours, the value of transcripts is huge and probably bigger than I even ever expected. And we're not alone. Scribe is the service that powers all of S&P Global, like Capital IQ, and their client list also includes our friends at Tegas. So go to joincolossus.com backslash scribe, that's S-C-R-I-B-E, and you'll unlock 150 minutes of free transcription. Again, joincolossus.com backslash scribe to test their capabilities. Let's do this. Welcome to Making Media. Humans are in an eternal quest for convenience. Save me time, make my life easier. My gosh, that was such a good start to an interview. Welcome back to Making Media. The first two episodes have been released. We got the trailer out last Friday. We're going to go through the dirty truths of everything that went into that launch. Me and Dom will be breaking it down, how we got here, what we did right, what we did wrong, some lessons, still early days. But Dom, I wanted to ask you, how does it feel to be the number three podcast in entrepreneurship? Is that true? In Bahrain. We are the number three <laughs> podcast in entrepreneurship in Bahrain. The people know. I will take that. And to answer the question, it feels great. It couldn't feel better. I'll be honest, we'll get into this, but the launch week was tiring. I think I've got some PTSD from it. There are a few reasons that go into that. But now to have our product out in the open air, people listening to it, I can see the count going up every second-ish. Yeah, it feels great. How about you? How do you feel about it? I feel good. And I will say, at one point, you told me that this podcast will end when you stop having fun. And last week, I was pretty sure that the podcast was just never going to start because you were doing that thing where you just don't look as engaged when we're on Zoom or the one word responses on Slack. And I was thinking to myself, oh boy, this could be ugly early. But yes, I think the biggest surprise is many people think about launches similar to the astronauts, you know, where the families are out on the hangar and they're just watching this rocket ship go up into the air, all smiling, holding hands and excited. But the reality is it's more like inside the actual Houston office where everybody's yelling at each other and screaming across the rows. And our launch week was particularly fun because the business itself is a heck of a thing to run. We had last week, five cancellations across our shows, five cancellations across four shows. If you notice business breakdowns came out on Friday, that one was recorded on Wednesday. So that was a quick turnaround. We are doing some very fun stuff with Positive Sum. They're putting together a nice little educational product, very advanced educational product that was taking up time. We have a new interesting investing series that we might be working on. So we're making that proposal right now. We have Project Documentary. I can't talk about Project Documentary, but you can probably get a sense of what it is by explaining it as Project Documentary, and it could be really interesting. 
we had to do 657 takes on the trailer, which were all a real joy. And by the end of it, I absolutely hated the trailer. Also spilled a massive glass of water on my keyboard. Fry that one out. So yeah, it was a hell of a launch week. Not to mention, we actually got the trailer out to what I thought was some good reception. We had Daryl Morey's episode, which is just spreading its tentacles through the podcast universe, both investing and sports. So there was some bright spots. But how do you feel after that launch week, Dom? This is the beauty of doing this podcast. There is no hindsight bias. And I can tell you right now, when it came to Friday and we were actually putting the product out there, we're putting the origin story of making media, unveiling it for the general public. I just felt tired. I was just pleased to get rid of it. It was afternoon my time on Friday. And I was like, at this point, I'm not sure I even care how this thing does. I I just want it off my plate. I want to be able to tick that box in my notes and say, yeah, we've done it. And I then had a weekend of restorative calm. I listened to some other podcasts. I did some reading. I went for long walks. And Monday morning came around. We're launching our first two episodes. And I felt a lot more energetic about everything. Honestly, going back, we couldn't have picked a worse week to launch that podcast. We were also pushing it back a few weeks for various reasons. You were out, then I was out. We chose last week. We had committed to it, which was the right thing to do. But man, when I sat down on Monday morning, having been out for a few days skiing, and I came back and I realized that we had one episode ready for that week, which was the best like the best. We were missing recordings for business breakdowns, Web3 breakdowns, Return on India. Actually, David and founders, he had his shit together. But the rest of us, we did not. And we were chasing our tail the whole week. Not to mention, as you say, we had many. And I'll take the hit for 654 of those takes on the trailer because I, for some reason, got really nervous doing that, which is completely ridiculous. But anyway, that was a, a sign of the week. And um, I'm glad we're here. Yeah, I'm glad we're here, too. It was a roller coaster of a week. The trailer goes out. I get excited and energized by all the feedback. And then I get this immediate rush of fear because I'm noticing that all of these different types of people are coming back to me excited for the podcast. We have this group of content junkies that just wants to hear about awesome content that we might have listened to. I referenced that Jordan iPad in the documentary of The Last Dance and people referencing that. Then I have people that just really want to see behind the scenes of Colossus and understand everything we do. And then I have people who want to learn from media operators. And I have great media mind, Web Bar, a recent contact of mine who said to me literally a month ago, just make sure you think about constraints. Constraints are everything. <laughs> think about a niche, Sean Griffey said on that second episode. So that was ringing through my head. I literally was recording voice memos on Friday night because somebody tweeted about how great the startup podcast was and the voice memos at midnight. And then I'm like, what the hell am I doing? Like This was never part of the plan. It looks good on the outside. I think a lot of people were like, wow, this looks really great. You guys did a good job on the inside. It's a lot of fear, but hey, here we go. We're off and running. Good start. I think before we get to all the lessons, it it does make sense to go like detailed all the way back where this started. We get a lot of questions like, how do new podcasts launch? How do you come up with the ideas? Is it more of a push or is it more of a pull? You, I think would be a good one to really tell me the origin story. I have maybe a different recounting. Let me know where we started with this. Yeah, people say there are two sides to every story. I think there is definitively one side to the story, and that is mine. It's the right side. It's the truth side. It's the only side. And that really begins in May 2021. If you've listened to our origin story, you'll hear it in there. I sent you an email. You have freshly started at Colossus. I was a pioneer at the time. And I sent you an email and said, hey, I've got two ideas. The second was my brightest idea, and that was we should do the startup podcast for Colossus an inside account of exactly what we're doing here, how we're building the business. I think people would be interested in that. 
And we'd also just launched Business Breakdowns. And it just made sense to me. I was like, we're going through all of these really interesting businesses with people who know them best. Well, we're building a business. We probably know that business better than most people. So we should be able to surface that for folks who may be interested. So that was my first shot across the bow. And then I tried again in April 2022, when I was thinking of things that I could do to extend myself within this business. And I said, why don't we do a newsletter this time? Not a podcast, a newsletter where we do behind the mic at Colossus. The idea would be that we share with folks a little bit about how we're building this business in written form. I sent that to you. I think you printed it off to your credit. You then put a little red pen on it. And that was the end of that idea. Was not the end, clearly. Yeah, spoiler alert, didn't quite finish there. I was persistent enough to try and bring it up again. Back end of October 2022, I came out to see you. It was a bright, sunny New Jersey day. We were sat outside. Half my face was burning. And we talked about what else could we do. And I brought up the idea for the third time. Slightly different flavor to this one, though. At the time, it was more of like a founders of Colossus. We'd grown to five shows at that point. I think our core audience may be a bit stretched with Colossus content. Could we have something that condenses the best of what we hear across our shows into kind of an hour show that goes out on a Friday. Folks who are going home from a long week at work, they just want to decompress with us, telling them the best things in our ecosystem. You took to that one, and here we are a few months later. And there was a lot in the middle of that, but that's my recount of the story. I think that's right. Now, the receipts will show that original email that you sent that I was fully on board. I will bring you into one of the original meetings that I had with Patrick, Damien, Josh, and Joe. We were talking through content ideas, and I referenced something along these lines, like taking an inside view, recording some of these meetings. I swear I got like all a bunch of just blank stares, like I, I don't really get it. So I went back to the drawing board. That was right around the time you sent the email. I honestly think that was before you sent the email. But regardless, we can argue over that. Hang on a second. Is that the same meeting with those guys where the idea was to do a business breakdown every single day? Because if it was, then I have some questions about that meeting and its validity. I think there are some silly suggestions being thrown out there and some good ones being shut down. There were a few of those meetings. That one was not that specific meeting. But yeah, there were a few times that that was brought up. But nonetheless, yes, it was a long time in the making. I would say that's actually pretty common for our shows. If we take Return on India, that had basically a six-month turnaround from idea to launch. We take Web3 breakdowns. That was closer to a four-month turnaround. But I would also mention that we probably had that idea 10 months beforehand. We just started to get much more serious four months beforehand. Business breakdowns, uh, I think a bit longer than that. If you look back, it's basically six months since the idea to conception. And a lot of what goes into that is figuring out exactly what the idea is, testing different things, and going through the process. But Basically, it was October. And one of the things we did was we just started recording. And that's something that we frequently do with our other shows is test runs. This overlaps with one of the things that I'm getting asked a lot of questions about, which is, oh, you guys don't run episodes. And I think this is surprising to some people. I think there are a lot of reasons for it. But how would you elaborate on when we decide to run something versus when we decide not to run something and the idea of a quality bar? We talk about this quality bar, and I think it's kind of an ephemeral thing. It's very easy to talk about, very difficult in practice to know what meets the threshold and what doesn't. And there are a ton of other things that go into it. For example, sponsors who are expecting episodes on a weekly basis. And so like you have that incentive system. The thing that we really focus in on is this concept of the listener being our customer. So we need to make content that's worthy of their time. Anyone who's sitting down for 45 minutes or an hour or walking and listening to something. It needs to be worth that time investment. And we, at this point, 
know our audience pretty well, I think. And for each different show, is this genuinely insightful for them? Are we just parroting stuff that they've probably heard already? Is there original insight in the conversation? And it's those kind of questions that we ask ourselves as we listen to something. Equally, like we're both come from the investing world. That's generally where our audience is. Is it interesting to us? That's the first threshold asked at me. Am I editing this conversation with glazed eyes, wanting to end bad sign versus am I slowing down the speed because I'm missing some serious insight? Good sign. And definitely want to launch that kind of stuff. So some things that we think about. Yes. As Tom Morgan, friend of the pod, would say, if you ask somebody to describe the color red, probably not going to be able to do it. But I think you know when you see red. I think that's the best way to think about this is maybe not that simple, but there is certainly some heuristics we can use or tests that we can use to come up with whether it meets the quality bar or not. The one interesting thing I would say, though, is it's not always about the guest. And I will not just say that to be a positive person and try to be friendly. Oftentimes, it's either the host wasn't prepared or early on, we're just trying to figure out the right format. And we might not communicate what we're trying to accomplish on the episode as much. So this particularly happens in breakdowns. A lot of it can be on our side. And that sucks because you don't want to waste somebody's time. When you're doing some testing, you run into similar issues. You have to let people know this could or could not run. We have to see how these come out and just be very upfront about it because otherwise people can get upset and rightfully so. That happens from time to time. For this podcast, it was particularly easy because it was just you and I doing it. So we knew what we were doing when we got into it. We also came up with a beta testing audience, which I will say, we didn't put Patrick in that original audience. And I think this is something that's important is you have to remember, you get one first impression with certain people. And I know certain people that will want to workshop something and will have the energy to listen to multiple. And then there's some people who, if they don't like it upon first listen, it's probably not going to work out. And I think just in general, that is something to keep in mind for everything. And why I think the start of podcasts are so important, because you basically have like, five minutes. And if you don't hook somebody with some interesting stuff there, then forget it. So we started doing those early November. And we brought Patrick into the process in late December. So that gives you some idea. We probably went through eight weeks of these. A lot of things got tossed around. But really, we were recapping our week of episodes at the launch of it. And obviously, it's developed into something very different than that over time. Yeah. And I think the thing that we learned from that process was that we did have chemistry in a conversation over Zoom in a podcast format. And from there, we could then think what might be more interesting to people to listen to. And I have to give Patrick a lot of credit. He got us into the media side of things and thinking about the business itself. And you had that conversation. So maybe you can add a bit more context for that. But when we took it to him, it was like, this is what we're trying to do. And he was like, well, think maybe about this. Maybe he just elevated the ambition of the show as well. How do you feel about that? I think that you're doing a good job brown nosing. I, you know, I'm sure that will go into the <laughs> bank for the future. I do agree. I think there was a few clarifying decisions in terms of interviews. Interviews were not going to be as big of a piece as they are to start this podcast. And that was always something that I wanted to work towards over time. I think one of the best examples of where I thought about the podcast going is the big picture done by the ringer talks about movies. Every big movie director either listens or wants to come on, the majority of them. So they have access to some of the best and the brightest, and they bring them in for unique conversations. But it is very much a conversational show. The interviews are on the back end of it. We wanted to put a creative spin on it. 
but we brought the interviews in early. So that was one of the main changes. Obviously, I think getting to interview Patrick, there's a certain scarcity value there. He doesn't do many interviews. So that was a leg up. Got to take advantage of whatever your advantages are. And then from there, building out a roster that we think maybe our audience hasn't necessarily heard from before. Again, we're still getting exposure to the investor audience as much as we are the media audience and get some of these unique brains brought in and things we can talk about. That's the thing that honestly makes me most excited about this project. I think for a good 18 months, I've been a reluctant media operator. I think I've still thought of myself as an investor and I often get caught in this trap of, I feel like I'm losing some of the knowledge I had as an investor because I've been working on a completely different field for the last 18 months, albeit the subject matter is still investing. But it just kind of occurred to me over the Christmas period, I need to just jump both feet in learning everything I can about media because ultimately that will determine my success in this role and also a small part of the success of the business. And what better way to do that than to kind of hold yourself publicly accountable with a podcast? And I've talked about this before, but podcasts are such a good cheat code for getting in front of people that you might not ordinarily want to email. If you email someone and say, hey, can I have 30 minutes of your time? I feel really uncomfortable about that. If I email someone and say, hey, we had launched a podcast, please can I talk to you? I read your book, I thought it was excellent. For some reason, it makes it so much easier. And they're probably more willing to say yes as well. It gives us, or me in particular, a really good reason just to force myself to learn about the industry and all different corners of it. As you said, we want to interview people that are probably a bit off the beaten path. Sean, for example, I hadn't heard of much to my own embarrassment, but I picked up a ton of things in that conversation that I think about a lot on a daily basis. And we've had a few other conversations that are coming out in the next few weeks with similar thoughts, building this, as Sam Hinky used, a different breadcrumbs from our industry that we can piece together into our own Colossus Doble. And I would say it's a exercise just of getting out there and learning and testing and trying different things. And all of that is exciting. One of my immediate observations is that media people are so much nicer than investors. And I would say I have much more exposure to public equity investors, to a lesser extent to credit investors. I love them all. And I can completely understand why. They're not the friendliest folks. Media people are just so nice. So I'm enjoying this little honeymoon period of over the past month, I've re-identified as a media person. Again, I talk about that in the trailer. It is a little bit awkward when the neighbor asks you what you do. And you're like, well, you know, I work for a podcast business. And they're like, oh, well, yeah, my niece Susan, she has a podcast with all of her high school friends. People listen to these ones. You try to say, but you don't want to overcompensate. I think I'm going to just change it and say with a stark straight face that I'm in show business <laughs> and test out how that works. But the reception from other people in media, as you saw by Sean, is great. And that's been fun. It's just leaning into that, embracing it a little bit more being open and honest about learning. like It's fun when you just come out front being honest. It helps with the reception that you get, but then you can almost sound as silly as possible with the questions that you ask because you're just curious about asking. I'm interested to see how this evolves over time. I want to go back in six months' time, a year's time, two years' time and ask you whether you still think media people are as friendly as you currently think they are. I hope that's true. But my inclination is to say that you were too deep in the investing side and you're too fresh in the media side. But we'll keep track on that. Here's my theory. In media, you benefit from exposure. So unless you're going to come out and say something controversial at the expense of someone else, and they're going to raise your exposure through that, which is uncomfortable. People do it. You know, It's engagement bait. You end up befriending other people. Very different than investing, where you're basically just competing against each other. Yeah, zero sum. Yeah, we know those zero sum games. 
So that's my theory. So I think it's got staying power, but we will stay tuned on that because it could be evolving. Yes. Very interesting. The other things I want to just call out from where we started to where we ended. And I honestly think this show could look very different in six months time as well. I think that's the beauty of it. It's just one giant experiment to me. We're going to be doing lots of learning, but the format of it will change depending on what people like and what they don't like. But from where we started, with the number of different names we've gone through, the number of different pieces of artwork we've gone through, you talked about the trailer, the number of trailer takes we went through. I think that's all part of just honing in on this. And we've spent a good number of hours as well, just trying to concentrate on the description of the show. We spoke to a senior folk at NPR who built the business there, and he was very insistent on us constraining the show into what makes this specifically unique to you that no one else out there is doing or could do. Boy, did we scratch our heads over that. Because I think every idea you come and think of has probably been done before. I don't want to go out on a limb at this point and say that our show is totally unique. I think we've got it to a reasonable spot. I definitely think there's more refining we can do. But I think you say this, don't let perfect be the enemy of great. And hopefully we've got to a place where we're comfortable enough to launch despite the pain of last week. And hopefully it just gets better over time. But yeah, we went through a ton of different names, making media say what you like. I think it's pretty good. That was another Patrick name. And we'll see where we go. But (laughs) it's been a journey. I like to random walk down Content Street and our listeners could have been the randos, but that got beaten down pretty quickly. I'm okay with that. I do like making media. There are about 600 other podcasts with names close to making media, but there's only going to be one making media from Colossus. I do agree with you on the constraints. It's a good time to actually transition a little bit and talk about what we did right, what we did wrong, compare it to some of the other things that we've done. I actually think we did a really good job with the description. And I am one who always fears what I call winning the press conference. What you see in sporting leagues, when there's a new coach hired, they get on the podium, they deliver this passionate speech. Really doesn't matter if you end up going 4-13. and And there's a particular coach in the Super Bowl right now for the Eagles, who did not win the press conference, but he's been winning on the field. And I think it's an important distinction. But if you can do both, that's really valuable. So I think we did a pretty good job with that description. And I think it's a little bit catchy. And I measure that by the people who saw the content junkies reference and have reached out to me, identifying as content junkies, the CJs, our audience base. I need to pause there. So Matt at the moment is trying to force this through as our listenership being called the CJs. I'm resisting the pull at the moment, but please reach out to me if you feel like this is a bad idea because I need all the data and evidence I can muster to resist this. Only one faction. So you might not be getting outreach from content junkies themselves. I just want to make that clear. It will evolve organically. I will not force anything. It will evolve organically. But I think that tells me that that description at least hooked some people up front. We'll see if we can maintain them, but you got to get the fish on the hook first. Reeling it in is an entirely different thing. It's the traffic versus audience, but we're getting close there. What are some of the other things you think we did well with the launch? I think some of the stuff we've talked about, I think the description, you're probably right, even though you wrote it. I think the origin story, honestly, the time that we spent thinking about this show we got right. I think we did more testing on this show than we've done for a number of other ones. I think Business Breakdown is probably the one that we've done the most reps ahead of time to really refine it. I think this probably comes second at this point. And I think that was really helpful considering where we started to where we got to getting Patrick's buy-in. We're realizing that that's increasingly important in our business. Call us idiots. We probably are, but that is important. And then I think if I look back to December and a show we launched, Return on India, 
I think we both admit we didn't get that launch right, whereas we got this a lot more right. And I think in some ways, it's going full circle in terms of going back to what we did with business breakdowns and really nailing down a framework for how to launch a show. And I think that includes spending a lot of time testing the show, getting enough reps with either guests or each other, making sure you have what you think makes a really unique episode, and then just doing more and more of that, coming up with a description that's really succinct and differentiated. And then having three episodes to launch with, I think is important. You said in a tweet last night, we did this in part to try and hack the algo. Working in Bahrain, by the way, working in Bahrain. (laughs) Yeah, we've hacked the Bahrain algo, which is great. I think in future, definitely going to need three episodes that can include sort of a small trailer and then two episodes to launch with. We need a good resume of testing ahead of time. We need to be really clear about what this show delivers. And then I think we're in a bright spot to launch. So I think we're honing in on that. And we probably veered away from it after breakdowns. I think breakdowns, if I'm honest, probably made us a little bit complacent about launching podcasts. I think the world has changed slightly of podcasting. There's probably more competition now than then. We probably strayed away from that playbook. We're refining it again. Yeah. And just to detail exactly where we think we would have made a difference with Return on India, I think for the first episode, the audio quality was not a 10. And I have certain views on audio quality. I know it's out of consensus. I actually think audio quality can be a little bit overrated. But for the first episode, you need strong audio quality. And you might lose people if they can't hear it clearly or if they feel like the production is off just a touch. We also had the situation where we didn't have multiple episodes to start. So I think that can just weigh it down a little bit, although it did get very positive reception and feedback. But there were certain things along with that launch, which we could have done on our side to improve that and lay things out, bang, 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 right at once. So there's a certain momentum that gets built. Whether or not releasing multiple episodes, hacking your way into the charts is accurate, is up for debate, but it's definitely worth a shot. Like It's silly not to try it. And I think about, in terms of growing an audience, if people only have one thing to listen to, they're probably not going to make sure that they come back for the second thing, even if they like the first one. So I think there's something to be said for giving them a plate of three or four episodes right up front. That way, they know that they want to return for the fourth or the fifth thing, rather than making it stretch out. So these are all things that we're testing around. But that was one thing with Return on India. With Web3, I think we had an awesome first episode with Eric and Patrick. And then we had a second great episode with Aaron Wright on DAOs. And then we went to stretch a time where we basically just got really excited and wanted to get the launch out. And there were certain things that drove this. And I ultimately think that was the right decision. But I think it's always wiser to prepare for these things up front, get that inventory built and prepare yourself so you're not missing weeks right off the bat. Yeah, I was listening to James Clear on Tim Ferriss' show on the weekend. And he was talking about how he launched Atomic Habits. And he spent 12 to 18 months thinking through the best way to launch his book. Now, there are huge differences between books and podcasts. So this doesn't read across perfectly. But the way he said he had appeared on between 75 and 100 podcasts, he'd reached out to a ton of different influences in specific domains that he'd identified as people who might be good at spreading the word about his book. So when the book finally dropped, he had what felt like a very concentrated explosion of people talking about Atomic Habits. And I think if I were to mark us down in the past, and even to some extent with this, we haven't been as thoughtful on the broader thing. And I think some of this comes back to what we said at the very beginning. We've got a business to run while doing this stuff. And there's just always something to do. 
And so you often have to make a trade-off and say, well, okay, we're just going to do like the main bits that we know we can and have to do for launching a show. But then maybe we're guilty of not going the extra mile on some of these partnerships externally or really making a big noise around a particular show. Again, huge differences between books and podcasts, but that is definitely something that gave me pause for thought over the weekend and like, how could we integrate that going forwards? There will be, I think, on this show, particularly ways to explore some of those external partnerships that maybe we haven't done or even growth opportunities in terms of paid growth. You call them trade-offs. Frank Slootman would call them excuses. But yes, no, I agree with you. I do think you mentioned there's a difference between a book and a podcast. And the book is the product, right? You want to build people up so that they make the one-time purchase. For a podcast, you're trying to get basically a repeat purchase, people's time over and over and over again. And I think to go out with paid growth before you add multiple episodes is silly. I also want to give a chance to you, the organic listener who's listening right now. We didn't pay to acquire you. And I think you're a special piece of what makes Colossus. I want to make sure that we give them a chance to celebrate and give them something before we get any paid listeners into the mix here. But that said, I think if we're going to do something paid growth wise, I only want it to be after we have a catalog of things that people can tune into once they show up. If you show up and you have one thing, it's like eye roll to me, but we will be testing that in public. And also, you know, we're bringing people onto the show. That's the beauty of a podcast. So someone like Sean Griffey, for example, has become a supporter of the show by virtue of being on the show and having an interesting conversation with us. Whereas a book, you just can't get that kind of thing. You have to force it through. But I want to get your insights. What do you think we got right? What did we get wrong? And maybe just lay some framework of exactly where do we stand today in terms of the podcast we're recording on Tuesday, morning time in the US. Talk us through the facts and then your feelings. Yes. So I think that we did a good job with the trailer. I like dropping it on a Friday morning, given the format is slightly more playful. I think that that helps with Fridays. And yes, I do think to that level of detail with when certain things come out on release. I actually don't think Monday is a great time for launching things because inboxes are littered. And honestly, most people are just not in as good of a mood on Mondays. I think it's something that I consistently believe in. If you're going to have an interview for a new job, don't do it on a Monday. People are just not going to be in as good of a mood on Mondays. Whether that's right or wrong, I think you're silly to like go against human psychology in that sense. But we went against the grain with those in terms of when the episodes came out. We debated whether to do trailer plus episode on Friday. We let some hype build. I think that was all good. I think the first two episodes were good. I did get a little nervous, just that it was a lot of interviews and not as much content, chunky stuff, or not as much inside Colossus. But the fact that the first interview was with Patrick made up for the inside Colossus. That was just what immediately came to mind. What are you offering? And is it meeting expectations? That's like life. And people always rip on clickbait. Clickbait is only viewed in a negative way. If you don't deliver on what you are suggesting is through the link or through the episode, even something like titles, I want to be thinking a lot more about titles because there's a ton of interesting things. And it's like, how do you get people to actually listen and know that that's inside? We had some fun with the Mori episode and the soccer rules that caused a lot of conversation that extended from Twitter to other podcasts to plenty in the media discussing it and driving conversation. It's interesting. That was the first time I've ever seen the divisive nature of Twitter firsthand. What? Well, I've never really put myself out there publicly. I also don't have a big following. But from the Invest Like the Best account, I tweeted a picture of our transcript, which had Daryl Morey saying that football has the worst rules in sport. And I called it soccer. That wasn't something I enjoyed doing, but I did it for the audience. And it was stunning to see the number of people quote tweet it on both sides of the aisle, if you like, 
the Europeans would say it's called football, not soccer. Anyone who calls it soccer doesn't know what they're talking about. Some people agreeing 100% with Daryl. It was mental. There was no one who was like, I can kind of see where he's coming from. It was either I am wholeheartedly backing him or he's the most stupid person I've ever come across. The best conversation that I heard on the back of it, which was a conversation, they said, it's silly to change the rules just to change the rules. But their recommendation was shoot the penalty kicks before overtime. That way, one of the teams always has a reason to be pushing and playing aggressively in the overtime. And it keeps the game moving versus what you tend to see sometimes is both teams just playing for PKs. Wait, how does that work? You just go through and have the PKs, but it doesn't actually decide the game. It's merely if the game and the overtimes are to end in a tie, we use the result from those PKs to decide the game. Interesting. Yeah, there's this. It's a long story, but one of the other podcasts that I listen to has this professor of game theory at Penn. It's one of the most unique podcast internet stories that you can imagine in terms of how he's worked his way into this podcast about sports. But it's honestly, it's excellent. It's the beauty of the internet. We'll talk about some of that on our content junkie episodes. But it was a great example of that's generally good for media. If you're starting that type of conversation and people want to know what the origin was, that's not a bad thing. And I don't think it was an unhealthy conversation or done in a way which was intentionally misleading. But it does show you the divisiveness. And that's kind of what I'm trying to do here is drive some of the conversation. I'm mentioning things about like hacking algos. If we're completely wrong, I would really like to know. The feedback jar is open. We're already getting requests. I got a text message yesterday. Go on YouTube, you coward. (laughs) That was in the feedback jar. I'm putting that through, processing it now with HR and unlikely to happen near term, but noted. Some other things about who finds the guests. A producer for another big show said that They were expected to find the guests. Whereas we say when we find guests, the hit rate is so much lower than if the hosts find the guests. And obviously, it should work hand in hand. But it's noticeable that the chemistry factor is huge for us in terms of quality bar and whether shows go out or not. And I would say if we have hosts that find their guests, there's like a 95% plus hit rate. If we have us sourcing guests for the hosts, that's dropped down to like a 65%. So pretty nuts to see the difference there. And then pretty interesting to see like another very, very big podcast that does it completely different. Totally. Is it worth just going through the stats as we stand now? Yeah. What do we have? Like 300 downloads for Patrick, 150 for Sean. So I would call it a win if we get 2,000 on Patrick for the first week and we get 1200 for Sean. Now, for our shows, where we really want to be is north of 10,000 downloads in the first week as like a barometer. Now, keep in mind, Breakdowns now is doing 25. Invest Like the Best is doing 55. Web3 is doing four, depending on the episode, but it's like a steady number. Return on India is hovering between one and two. So... We'll see where this nets out. I would expect it to gain some traction. And there's some unique things that help it out. I don't want to do anything inorganic to start. I think that will come down the line. But yes, I am curious to see where this comes in for the full week. If you had to put a guess on it, where would you put it? I think your numbers are right. I think the thing that I would want to highlight is growing podcasts is difficult. I think this is kind of the uncomfortable truth of podcasting. It's very difficult to break people's habits within their own podcast. They probably have lots of people that you listen to on a weekly basis and you go back to them. 
no one really wants or needs a new podcast. And so you kind of have to force your way in there, give them a specific reason to listen to you, and then just try and grow that over time. It really requires time. Part of the launch, when I reflect on it, I feel good about it. I think we're doing the right thing for the right reasons. And I'm proud of the way we presented it. But then when I look at the numbers, I'm probably a little bit disheartened. They're just not very big. And so it's like you put a lot of effort over many months, in my case, years to get to this point, And you have 500 downloads across both shows. Now, look, we're in the first 24 hours. So I should probably give myself a break. But equally, we're all vain to some extent. And you want to see those in the thousands and really feel like you've had this blockbuster opening. I think the reality is that that just doesn't happen. Well, it also puts more observation on who's listening. I probably had more interesting messages come through about the episode than I've had in a long time. I'll get a few interesting messages about any breakdown that I do, and they tend to come spread out over time. I just had somebody ask me about the Dow DuPont episode and certain things with that. And it's high level investor, friend of the pod, someone who made an appearance. But it's just noteworthy that it can be so spread out. Here, I've got a ton of interesting inbounds. Now, it is a launch, but I would say like the caliber of the person, the listener, you on the other side of the headphones. Very impressive resume, very impressive (laughs) insights that you can provide. And that to me is important to kick off. I think what we realized with some of the other shows, particularly breakdowns, what really helps with growth and breakdowns is every day or every week, excuse me, you are covering a new company. And that is one way to grow because somebody from that company likes the episode, that spreads widely within that company. And you're likely to convert a bunch of those people into full-time listeners. It's pretty interesting how that works. And we hear from those companies. Now, we also hear sometimes from companies who are not happy with their breakdown. And I was dealing with that as well last week. I spent hours not arguing, but going back and forth with the company, had to make some changes. These will not be commented in public because we are a media house that does not want to treat people that way. But it's just interesting to see how far these extend. And even though the numbers are small up front in the first 24 hours, I've been impressed by who you are, the listener. What's our strategy to grow this in the next two, three weeks? Where are we going to get the most return from our investment out of? I think it's going to go into the DMs of my Twitter and everybody who's ever asked me about podcasting advice, I can now send them certain things. So that helps. That's like 475,000 DMs that I can now answer. So maybe that's a good one. We could do some tricky giveaways. I don't know exactly what that is, but I do want to reward the organic listeners. Like That's important to me. If you're on at the start of this journey, that's completely different than jumping on in the middle. It doesn't mean that you're better than the people in the middle, but it's just like you want to like the band before they get the big record deal, before they go on tour. You're watching us in the small bar right now. Yeah, geez. Yeah. It's a completely different experience. And then you can be a snob and tell people, I remember when that first launched and they did that episode and they were so bad. They were so bad. But it's so great to see them and how they've matured and learned so much about media. I do think there's something to that. The OGs, there's a way to celebrate them. We have to figure out what exactly that is, but they will be celebrated. Yeah. It'd be some long awaited Colossus merch. Yes. Or swag, as you like to call it. Yeah, the swag shop's been in development for six months, but I think we have a good breakthrough after Carl Quadra's interview this morning where he's talking about being a multi-time guest, referencing the SNL. Like That's exactly what we need. We need that type of pride and commitment. And we'll have the same. We'll see if Sean or Patrick ever get back on the podcast. It'll be a high bar. <laughs> All right. So I think we need a grade. What do you give week one or day one of making media? 
what system are we going to use? One to ten and no sevens? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. I give us a eight point one. Wow. No sevens, but you're allowed decimal points. Yeah. Okay. I give us six point seven. Wow. That bad. You're back in the dumps like last week. <laughs> you can't get me out of the dumps that easily. I think it's the data. That really drags me down. What I will say, and this is crucial to podcasting, is I feel my motivation hasn't been dampened. And I think you need something that just won't burn out. You can pour as much cold water on that thing as possible, but the flame will still be burning. And that for me is just learning about the industry, sharing what we're doing here, just trying to improve what I can do at this business every single day. And that for me is the biggest thing about this podcast. If we can help people along the way, amazing. So it's not dampened my enthusiasm for the show. I just would love those numbers to be a bit higher. Here's a good counter to that. We have a sponsor, which you wanted to ask me about the sponsorship and how that came to be. We have funding for six months of this podcast. Ask me, how did it come to be? We've got Runway, say Matt, as our sponsorship guru. We've got Scribe. I love the way you bring Scribe into the show. I have to give that an A+. I have had this realization that people can skip through sponsorships, but if the first thing they hear is the name of the company, that's going to be etched in their head. I actually got multiple texts about Scribe. So win on that one. Not to mention, we do use them as our transcript provider. So extra PR for them, but it was a change. It was an organic story. They, at the end of last year, were looking to allocate some budget. They did not want return on any because of the specific demographic focus. They wanted more of a global focus. And this came up as an option before it was even confirmed that it was definitely going to happen. But we worked towards uh, an agreement. And to me, what that says is like, okay, to your point, runway, where we talked to Sean Griffey, he gives 18 months before things get the hook. We have a shorter leash than that, but at least gives us time to experiment, find the right style and grow those numbers, which will grow. You can do a better job, I think, Go to the most crowded area tonight and steal people's phones, download on all the podcast players, give them back their phones, five-star reviews, and we're golden. Yeah. It brings up an interesting question about sponsorship because Sean was talking about this and he said their new properties that they launch can often either be marketing-induced. So a marketing person comes to them and says, this is kind of person that we want to reach. Is this something that you would launch a publication for? Or it's they have an idea for a publication and then they go out and look for marketing dollars to support that business. For us, how do you think it works more generally? Is it a sponsor comes to us and says, hey, we're willing to fund something. We would like it to look like this. Can you launch something? Or is it we are thinking about the listener launching something and then trying to find someone to support us? It's often the latter, like 99% of the time the latter. I am a little bit more open to talking with sponsors and understanding what they would like to sponsor in the future. Because most of our shows are sold out or locked up in long-term contracts, it makes it tricky. But where I ran into the issue last year was basically bringing them a package, like a movie production and trying to sell it as is, versus just getting an understanding of how much demand and appetite there would be. And I think that's a little bit of a learning lesson, but I'm very much learning on the sponsorship side of things. We'll, We'll spend some time on that, but I have a long way to go in terms of doing that appropriately and how to structure those things. I do think we have a lot of interest. Yep. Are there any guests in your bucket list at the moment that you think in the next three months, I would love to get this person on? I think someone from Churning Group would be great just because of how they've invested in media in a few unique ways. And I know we've had them on a few different times and I've heard them a few different ways, but I have a lot of specific investing questions that I would like to ask them because 
so much of what they're doing has key man risk. And I've heard Mike from the Trinning Group, Mike Kearns, who was on our podcast and sat down with Portnoy and was very much the driver behind the Barstool deal that they did early on. And he talks a little bit about the dynamics of making sure that they've really had the ambition to grow the business and his energy was there and you know, getting money wasn't going to change things. But basically feeling that out and understanding how do you separate people from brands? And I think that's very tricky because how much of that enterprise value is just him and his personality? And if he were to leave or something were to happen, obviously there's key man risk insurance and all types of things like that. But just little dynamics like that on top of all the interesting media questions that we could ask. Someone from that group, I think would be one. Anybody that immediately comes to mind for you? I think related, Erica Nardini, who leads Barstool as their CEO, I think she would be awesome. I would love to talk to her about what she found when she joined the group and how it's changed since and how she thinks about the business going forward. And then the one that we've both talked about in the past is Jimmy Chin. Yes. He was like an idol of this podcast. Yes. The good example of a practitioner climber, an extreme sports guy who went into the documentary field. Now, I believe his wife was already in the documentary field, but... I'm always very interested in how much better can media be when you take a practitioner and put them in that seat. And I don't think it always works. Like there's a million examples of when it doesn't work and when people in their field can't explain their field very well. But when it does work, I think you have Jimmy Chin and a lot of the documentaries that he's done with Alex Hanold and there's just a ton out there. So I love that one. Eric Nardini has canceled on Patrick before. So that would be really excellent if we had her on the podcast. Didn't mention anything to Patrick. I want Erica, we can do this. Yeah, that would be phenomenal, honestly. And I think those are two good suggestions. Throw that out there. Put the bat signals out. Anything else you'd round up from this week? No, great week. A lot more to go. It's funny. As much as I've thought about this recap episode, I've actually thought about all the other things on our list to do. It's a good sign of Colossus, everything that we have going on inside the factory. But it's fun to share it and be talking about it. And just the amount of conversation that it's kicked off, I think is a good sign. So I'm going to take that as a leading indicator of what might be to come, the questions that are coming on the back of it. And we're going to be bringing those questions into the podcast as well. So we're going to try to mix those in, answer them in a more formatted, formal way. Right now, the only thing we have set up is an email address, and that is hello at joincolossus.com. We should probably jazz that up to something different than hello at joincolossus.com. But for now, I disagree. We're going to keep it as hello at joincolossus.com. I'll tell you why. It costs us $15 a month, I think, for that email address. And I don't see a reason why we need a specific one for this. I'm reading Skunk Works, and that book has taught me frugality, as well as David's founders podcast. Frugality is the key to business success or a characteristic. And so I don't think we need to spend unnecessarily on a new email address. That one works fine. Please email us there. We'll go back to you. We'd love to hear from you. So don't be shy. Hello at joincolossus.com. That $15 a month really doesn't feel like we should be worrying over it, but we'll talk about that at a different time. All right, Tom, it has been excellent. Thank you for listening. We hope that we both answered questions, brought you behind the scenes of the rocket launch that was much more mayhem than it was celebration. But this thing is going into the sky. You aim for the moon and the worst thing that happens is you end up with the stars. Here we go, baby. Making media. We will catch you next week. Bye.